Hi. Um, yes, I was asked to talk today. I thought, what, what could I talk about? Um, and I thought um, I would talk about Orthodoxy as British saints, um, which I, did, I knew a little bit about. But of course, when I started reading for today, realised I did not know that much. But um, I've chosen some. There are a lot. Because any saints that were created saints before 1054 in Britain will have been Orthodox saints. Because, of course, before 1054, a thousand years ago, um, there was only the Orthodox Church. And Britain was an Orthodox country. Um, and I think... I know when I'm teaching my students, you know, um, I, I do talk about orthodoxy, but you know, I have to very much explain what it is because we haven't really had um, a, main, uh, a lot of orthodox churches in Britain for a thousand years. So the students are like, "Oh, well, what is that?" To be fair, they don't really know what Catholicism or Protestantism is either. Um, but um, I suddenly realised. Um, I think when you're British, you think all the saints are Roman Catholic. But of course, when I became aware of orthodoxy, I realised a lot of the saints um, that we have in Britain were actually orthodox saints because they were created before 1054 when everybody was orthodox. So I thought today um, I would talk about some of the saints. I couldn't actually, I thought I'd do Scottish saints, but it's far too many. I thought I'll do the orthodox saints of five. There's far too many to talk about them all. There's so many of them. So I'm just, I just chose a few because I thought um, I'll keep a little theme because I thought your church, you started here in Fife and you've branched off and you've formed a church in Glasgow. So I've sort of got two sets of saints I want to talk about. I might only talk about one because I do go on. Um, but one set brought Christianity to Fife and um, it's in Fife that we are very proud that Christianity there's lots of different stories of course in different parts of Scotland claim that they were the first Christian bit, but Fife, we have a story that claims that Fife was the first place where Christianity came in Scotland, and then there were a group of saints from Fife who went off and Christianised Glasgow, and I thought, oh, that's a nice story, because that's very like your church, you see, so I thought, I'll stick to that, and so I'll talk first, I'll probably only get um, the ones he brought, um, Christianity to Scotland done. I won't, I won't over-talk. But um, I know you are very rightly, as Cox, very, very proud of the fact that St. Mark came to Egypt and he founded the church there. Now, at Scotland, we were just a little bit further away from Jerusalem, but we are very, very proud and we say, okay, St. Andrew didn't make it here while he was alive, but he got here 300 years later. And we like to say that St. Andrew brought Christianity to Scotland. Um, but it was where, it was in the year, let me see, and I'll just move on because I find a little icon of St. Andrew here. Um, it was in the year 354 because, of course, um, please feel free, I will get the dates wrong, so people are free to correct me. But it wasn't that the Emperor Constantine became a Christian around the year 300, isn't this correct, more or less? 313. Right. Oh. Yes, thank you. And and he decided, you know, he had been a modest chap. He'd made Constantinople and he'd named it after himself. And he wanted this to be the centre of the Eastern Europe, uh, Eastern Roman Empire. And he wanted to have lots of beautiful riches there. So it become a most wonderful city. And he decided that he would take the relics from Patros, where St. Andrew had been crucified, on his um, on his cross, which was um, like a... Sorry, the saltire, we call it, yeah. Um, 
he felt he was not fit to, to be crucified on a cross like Jesus, so he chose the different cross. Um, and he had been buried in Patros, where he had been crucified. And an angel, and he was being looked after. His relics were being looked after by a monk called Saint Regulus. And um, an angel appeared to Saint Regulus. Let's see. Where is Saint Regulus? This is Saint Regulus. And the angel said, because um, the angel realized that the relics were about to be taken to Constantinople. And the angel, oh, I should actually say, this is, I don't know how much of what I'm going to talk about today is the truth, but this is what we believe in Scotland. So it's even of interest to you to know this is what Scottish people believe. These are our stories of how Christianity came to Scotland. And the angel said to um, Regulus, hide some of the relics of St. Andrew. So St. Regulus got in, I'm not sure how he did it, whether he literally got a saw to pearl St. Andrew's body, but he got uh, three fingers in the right hand, he got a kneecap, he got an arm and a tooth. And he hid them, so that when um, the soldiers came to take St. Andrew's relics up to Constantinople, there were still some relics left. And then the angel appeared to St. Regulus again, and he said, Get on a boat, and keep going to the north, most northwesterly bit of the world. So, you know, practic- I doubt people even knew about Scotland at this point in history. So they got into the boat, apparently got quite a few followers, and they got into the boat, and they kept sailing, and the angel said, You'll get to a point where you'll be shipwrecked. And at the point where you're shipwrecked, that is where God wants you to settle and found a Christian church. So St. Andrew, uh, St. Regulus kept sailing into the unknown, into the northwest, until he was shipwrecked off the coast of five of what is now called um, St. Andrews. St. Andrews in Fife. And there we go. I've just got a little picture there. This is how, well, this is the harbour at St. Andrews. I don't know, do people know St. Andrews? Yeah, you can go up there. Do you know this story? Maybe this is something people know. Some people do something. Well, next time you go, look down at the harbour. This is where we believe that the relics of St. Andrew appeared um, and Christianity came, came to five. So they walked, uh, they get up. Obviously, it won't have been as nice. We won't have had our harbour and our pier built at that stage, but just use your imagination. And uh, let's see. Yes, this... Actually, I'll go back. And at some point, if you can go to St. Andrews, you will walk up the hill. St. Regulus would have gone up the hill and he met there a Pictish king. Because the Scots, people living in Scotland at that point were called Picts. And they were pagan. But again, the story is that St. Andrew appeared to the local Pictish king and he said to him, if, if you welcome these relics, if you welcome Christianity, you will be victorious in battle against the English. And the Scots like that. Yeah. Apparently the story is that St. Andrew's cross appeared in the sky before a battle with um, the King of Northumberland. And they won the battle. And that convinced them that um, Christianity was the way to go. And so they welcomed St. Regulus. And this is St. Regulus's tower. This is still in existence. You can, has anyone been up to the top? Brilliant, Nabil has. Next time you go to St Andrews, this was the first place where the relics of St Andrew were housed in Scotland. Um, well, to be fair, I don't think it's the original church, but you sort of use your imagination. And you can get through this little turnspike and you go up a lot of stairs and you get the most beautiful view when you get to the top. You look out over the whole of St Andrews. It's a lovely, lovely view. Um, so that is St Regulus's tower. That was the first uh, site where the relics were housed. Um, 
and this is a little picture of the harbour and then you would walk up to um, St Regulus's Tower, it's not very far, apparently there's a cave somewhere between the harbour and the cathedral there's a cave um, in the coastline and that is where St Regulus liked to go and pray. So you could, you could, I'll have to have a look for that, I've never seen that so I'll have to have a look for that. Um, let me see, I wonder if I got things mixed up. Ah yes, so anyway we, ha- we have this and um, no, I'm trying to think, yes. The next person, so St Andrew settles in for 700 years um, and certainly the people in the locality know about um, the relics but it hasn't become re- very, very well known throughout Scotland. So the next person who made uh, St Andrew's relics very important is St Margaret. I know you come from Dunfermline, so you'll know St. Margaret, presumably. Yeah. Do, do you know Miss St. Margaret? Is he called St. Margaret? Sorry? <laughs> oh, there you go. St. <laughs> Margaret of Scotland. Now, she's quite interesting, actually, because um, there's a whole um, wiki forum, or the Orthodox wiki, and there's a whole forum of Orthodox people having a discussion about whether she counts as an Orthodox saint or not. It was quite fun to just watch the different arg- um, arguments because, to be fair, St. Margaret, now she's born before 1054. I think she's born in Hungary. So she would have been brought up to be an Orthodox Christian. However, she died after 1054, at the po- and she was living in Scotland when she died, so she would become a Roman Catholic. So she's actually officially a Roman Catholic saint, but some Orthodox people are saying, no, we think she's Orthodox, and it's quite interesting. Depending on which website you go to, she's either Rome- a Roman Catholic saint, or she's a Roman Catholic, but also an Orthodox saint. So it, it was quite fun, you know, it was people, different people, and so- I was someone going in, well, she's my patron saint, so she must be Orthodox, you know, this is like this panic, I chose the wrong saint at my baptism. Or whatever. So anyway, this is St. Margaret, and she um, is credited with, um, before she arrived, she married King Malcolm of Scotland, and they lived in Dunfermline, where he was king. It was the capital of Scotland at that point. And she had been brought up, or thought she fasted, um, she took communion every week, you know, sort of what you would recognise as orthodoxy. And when she came to Scotland, Scotland was a pretty Christian country, but apparently um, not in a way that she would have recognised because people weren't fasting. I think they took communion once a year at Easter and so forth. And she actually um, took it upon herself to get things shipshape and she reorganised the Scottish church um, into a way that probably you would recognise and how you worship and that you, you took communion every week and she fasted and so forth and she also very much took to the relics St Andrew and it's when she is queen that, that you start celebrating St Andrew's Day which is the 30th of November and, and she also you know when we had the barbecue at South Queen's Ferry and that time is South Queen's Ferry and North Queen's Ferry and the queen in the Queen's Ferry is Queen Margaret uh, St Margaret of Scotland because she wanted people to go on pilgrimage and go and see the relics and clearly they couldn't get over the fourth because there was no bridge so she actually set up a ferry to help people go and see St Andrew because she very much uh, she venerated St Andrew and it's she who really um, got the word out about St Andrew and also sort of got things or it takes a woman to get things organised doesn't it she came in she went let's let's get things a bit ship here and we'll worship like we do on the mainland Europe okay and this is her cave and um, 
This is open until the end of October. I think you can go and visit it. Has anyone been to St. Margaret's Cave? Don't want to. Yeah, it's it's quite super. It's it's in a car park in Dunfermline, and it's just this. You go in here. It doesn't look very exciting. I think then it becomes something a little bit from Doctor Who. Because look at this. I think this is quite. This is like corrugated iron, and you walk down here, and there is actually a little information board you can read, but not when you have children with you who are just like we managed to do it in five minutes. We just whoosh down and whoosh up. But if you don't have children with you, you can actually read the information boards about St. Margaret. And there you go. When you get to the end, they've actually got... This is maybe slightly appalling by Egyptian standards. I don't know. This is what we do in Scotland. They actually have a plaster cast of St. Margaret praying. So you can sort of imagine what it would have been like at the time. And it is. It's quite, it's quite deep down. I think it's underneath a car park now. Um, but to be honest, the fact that it survived is pretty good because so many um, shrines and so forth uh, got destroyed during the Reformation in Scotland. Um, so, for example, there was a, a shrine to St. Margaret in Dunfermline, um, Dunfermline Abbey. It's pretty old. And out the front, they used to have a shrine. I presume she was buried. You can see that's the plinth where her body was. It's a lovely story relating to it, actually, because I think she died. She died quite young. I think she was... Well, what I would count as young now, she's probably about 40, I count that as young. And um, they say that it was because she, she fasted so much, she actually she just wore herself out. She did so many good works, she fasted so much that she, she just wore herself into the ground. Um, and the story is she died uh, in Edinburgh, because there's actually a chapel at Edinburgh Castle dedicated to her. And I think there was a battle. And they were concerned about how they get the body home to Dunfermline. And this is one of the miracles attributed to her. There was this very thick fog. And they managed to get her back to Dunfermline and buried her with her husband. Because uh, the enemy could not see her. But then they decided to create a shrine to her, you know, and to big it up so people could come and visit. So they decided to remove her body from the grave. And they couldn't. It was too heavy. It was too heavy. They couldn't move it. And they kept trying. They kept trying. And clearly she did not want to move. And then someone said... Well, she doesn't want to leave her husband, so they lifted the body of King Malcolm as well. And, and as soon as they were taking her husband with her to the shrine, they could lift the body, because she didn't want to be separated from her husband. So that is the story. Um, it's clearly, the body is no longer there. Um, during the Reformation, sorry, I'm talking in a completely different way. This chap here, this is a guy called John Knox. I uh, don't know if people, again, if people have heard of him. He's one of the leaders of the Reformation. I've given two pictures of him. This is sort of, oops, there we go. Him in his Sunday best over here with his Bible, um, looking quite calm, um, and so forth. Uh, but I've also shown him there, he's in full flow, because John Knox liked a good sermon, and he liked to stir the people up. And during the Reformation, um, you maybe need to boo and hiss at him, actually, because he was a complete enemy, sadly, to the shrines um, and to the saints, because before the Reformation Scotland, Scotland um, was a Catholic country and very devoted to shrines, devoted to saints. And at the Reformation, John Knox, he wanted to form the Church of Scotland, it was Protestant, and he was very, very much against people going to visit the saints because he was like, you don't worship and he felt that they were worshipping the saints and not God, so his solution was destroy, destroy the shrines destroy the relics um, and um, get, um, so for example, at St Andrews I am keep leaping off back and forth where is St Andrews? see there, this is St Andrews Cathedral and it is a complete ruin now 
uh, before the Reformation, it was the largest cathedral in Scotland. And when it was opened in 1318, King Robert the Bruce rode his horse up the aisle. And he laid on the altar, um, where just before where the relics were, a thank you to um, St. Andrew, because they credited St. Andrew helping them win the Battle of Bannockburn, which I think is having its 700th anniversary or something this, this year, so you maybe hear about that. And they were saying, thank you, St. Andrew, you helped us fight that battle. Um, and it, so many people, it was the most beautiful cathedral. This cathedral was completely intact until the Reformation, but when St. Andrew, uh, when John Knox, boo, hiss, and he came to St. Andrew's and he stood in front of the parish church and he's not sedate like that picture. He's, he's going for it. And he whipped the crowd up and he said, this is dreadful, this idolatry, people coming to see the saint. And he rushed all the people. They say it was the day, the day he came in 1559, they said, St. Andrew's woke up Catholic and went to bed Protestant. He converted everyone to Protestantism in the one day and he whipped them up and he marched them from the local parish church down to the, the headland to the cathedral and this is just horrible and you know um, it's only now I've been coming to the Orthodox Church for a year and I now appreciate that this was horrible probably you know a year ago I would have thought oh quite right too being a little Protestant girl from Northern Ireland but they took the relics and they destroyed them they hid them to this day nobody knows where those relics went they completely destroyed them and then they took, went around the cathedral and they just completely trashed the cathedral so the cathedral went from being the biggest, most magnificent cathedral in Scotland to being pretty much this wreck in 10 years, in a 10 year period. And then it was just abandoned. And it's been a abandoned ruin for 450 years. So, um, but anyway, so that's what happened to the St. Andrew's relics. That's an awful story. Isn't it? it does get better. There, there's a happier ending for the relics. But the original relics that we believe St. Regulus came, to this day, nobody knows where they are now. They got destroyed. Uh, let me see this a minute. And the point, yes, St. Margaret, so her body also was in danger of being completely destroyed during the Reformation. But I think, because she was born in Hungary, and I think one of the kings from one, I'm not sure if it was Hungary, it might have been Romania, but basically they got the body out. So her body is now in Eastern Europe, because they knew that the reformers would destroy it, so they rescued her body and her relics. Okay, but before the Reformation, jumping back in time, this is a picture of St. Andrews because St. Andrews became um, such an important um, pilgrimage site because, of course, here in Western Europe, we're not honoured like, I mean, I know in Egypt you have so many sites that are holy where um, Jesus came and visited when he was a child. But clearly, um, in Scotland, we really, we don't, we don't have that. We don't have that heritage. So because of that, the relics were so important. And not just in Scotland, but throughout Western Europe. Because I think in Spain, there's a place called Compostela, where we, it's believed St. James was buried. And I think last year, I mean, I think they still get 200,000 pilgrims every year coming to visit it. Um, but before the Reformation, St. Andrews was similar. People came from all over Europe, even in the 1400s, when travel was not easy. And because of that, they actually had to build the town. If you look at the town layout, it was actually built to, simply to accommodate the pilgrims coming because, oops, no I can walk, can't I? Um, so I'm going to run actually, sorry. So the relics are here at the cathedral and you'll see that there are three streets in the town. 
So, so many pilgrims are coming that they actually have to congregate outside the town here, almost off the PowerPoint, if that makes sense. And then they had to build a town so they could have a one-way system because so many people were coming to St. Andrews to see the relics. So they have to walk down South Street. There they will see the relics and they will pray and hope that they will get their miracle. And once they have seen um, the relics, then they walk back again up the other street in a one-way system. Otherwise, the town would not cope. And in the middle street... And that's really your fast food joints, the equivalent medieval fast food joints where you get something to eat. Because of course, and it's called Market Street, because that's where you got your food. But this is just, if that gives you some idea how important the relics were, the entire town of St. Andrews and the layout that you see today was, it was time planning to accommodate people coming to see the relics. Okay, and there we go. Keep going. Oh yes, and I said hi. And um, the original relics completely disappeared. And um, it's oh, do you know even thinking about it now, it's just horrific. Goodness knows, lying in a ditch somewhere. Um, but and after the Reformation, it was illegal to be Roman Catholic for 300 years. You just it was against the law to be a Catholic. You had to be a member of the Church of Scotland. But um, in 1879. So, yeah, they, um, the Catholic Church was allowed to come back. I think possibly there have been a lot of emigration from Ireland, so a lot of Roman Catholics have been coming to live in the, t- uh, the country, so they probably realised they couldn't actually enforce the law. And if you can't enforce the law, just get, you know, get rid of it. So you're not allowed to be a Roman Catholic. And at that point, um, because of course, if you remember back at the beginning of the story, Regulus had only taken some of the relics and brought them to Scotland. The rest had gone to Constantinople. And they had been there until 1204, when during the Fourth Crusade, Constantinople got ransacked by um, the Crusaders. And at that point, they had again rescued St. Andrew's relics and taken them to Amalfi in South Italy. I actually went there on honeymoon, but that's by the by. Um, and because of that, um, once Roman Catholicism, um, they got a cathedral, St. Mary's Cathedral in Edinburgh. Does anyone know it? It's near to John Lewis in Edinburgh. It's quite near to there. And um, I think it was the Pope at the time, he gave a shoulder blade to the Catholic Church in 1879 because they wanted the relics to come back. The Catholic Church had been allowed to come back to Scotland and so they were given some of the relics. They were given the shoulder blade. And then... Um, Let's see, in 1969, I think a cardinal or a bishop from Scotland went to visit the Pope once again, and at that point, we were given a bit of the skull. So, um, so now these are housed in the National Shrine to St. Andrew in Edinburgh, and in 2004, I think this the Greek Orthodox Church gave this icon, and there's actually there's a lovely gilt box that the relics are held in. Has anyone visited it? Just no. Okay, if you do go, it's in a nice little, a beautiful box. I think it's a silver box, and suspended above it is an icon of St. Andrew, which was uh, I think donated by the Greek Orthodox Church, and. Would I be correct? I know that the significance that it's, he's dressed in green and red is that to have martyrdom and does green mean something in orthodoxy? Life. Life. Sorry, yes. Because I know I read and it's that it is quite significant from an orthodox perspective. And then on the scroll, um, it apparently says, um, here, we have, here we have found the Messiah and it's written in Latin, Gaelic, which is the original language of Scotland, and English. 
So he has come back. We have got him back now, but he is in Edinburgh. Um, where he can be kept safe, I think. <laughs> so there you go. So we did get St. Andrew back. Um, so there you go. So um, I'll talk about, so I've talked about St. Andrew and his relics, and I've mentioned St. Saint, Saint Regulus, but St. Regulus had a fellow traveller with him, and um, because he did not come alone on his shipwreck journey, and um, apparently he, he brought a lot of friends with him, and one of them was um, a nun called St. Trigiana. And this is, I couldn't find an icon of St. Trigiana. Um, so I've got the stained glass window that I think is from Orkney. And she travelled with him to help him bring the relics to Scotland. So she came to St. Andrews and then she went up and she became a, a reclusive nun um, in Forf, just outside of Dundee, actually, in uh, Forfarshire. I hope I pronounced that right. And um, she was very beautiful. And um, if people know the saint story of St. Lucy, that might be quite a familiar... Yes, this story I suspect, is rather similar to St. Lucy's story, it has to be said, but I'll keep going. She attracted the attentions of the local Pictish king called King Necton, and um, he sent a message saying, I would like to marry you, and she didn't want to, she was a nun. And she said, why does the, she said to the messenger, why does your king want to marry me? Because of your beautiful eyes. So she went off and she scooped her eyes out and she hooked them onto um, a blackberry thorn or hawthorn. Or or and she presented them to the messenger and said, there you go, tell your king he can have my eyes. But the rest belongs to God. And then she went down to um, Edinburgh and she then became famous because she um, started to cure people of blindness. This is the story. I think, is this sounding very like St. Lucy? I think it is. This is our Scottish version of St. Lucy. Um, but it became so important that St. Trigiana's chapel, they built an entire chapel to her. Um, because, let's see, in the 12th century, the Bishop of Orkney um, annoyed the local Earl, so the Earl blinded him. But when he prayed to St. Trigiana, he got his sight back. And there were other stories about how they got their sight. People visited her or prayed to her, and they got their sight back. And I know one website says, and there was a well, she had a well, and I think she bathed people's eyes in the water, or people came after her death and bathed in the water, and got their sight back. And um, King James III of Scotland, um, I think it's about in the four 1477, he liked it so much he built a big church. So the bit that um, you can sort of see with bricks, that is St. Trigiana's Chapel. That actually has survived today. The rest of it that's sort of in grey is sort of to give you an idea of what the church would have looked like just before the Reformation. It doesn't exist like that anymore. Um, but it became a very, very popular people king. She's just outside, she's just in south of Edinburgh, so it was very near to, to Edinburgh. People again came on pilgrimage to get their sight cured. But um, sadly, um, and we will, Mr. the Reverend John Knox got in there again, because at the time of the Reformation, he apparently had not gotten on very well with the priest who served at St. Trentiana's Chapel during the Reformation. He very much disliked him. There's a lot of personal antipathy to them. And so, although during the Reformation, the, what most people did was what had been the Catholic Church just overnight became the Church of Scotland, the new Protestant Church, because of course, during the Reformation, if you'd actually got rid of all the churches, you'd have had no churches for the new church.
church to worship it. So mostly they just, you know, changed the internal furnishings and, and, it, and it actually said to the Roman Catholic priest, well, you know, you can stay on as a Protestant minister. Do you want to do that? And in most cases he said, yep, that's fine. I'll be a Protestant minister. And it just literally overnight you know, everything changed. You're still worshipping the same church. You still had the same, uh, yes, where, where it had been a chapel, that was a church, where you would have said someone was a priest, now they were a minister. But it was the same people, the same buildings. But John Knox clearly had just disliked the priests of St. Joanna so much that he made a decree when the, when the new church met. They actually, one of the very first decrees was, and St. Joanna's chapel, raise it to the ground get rid of it completely and use the stones to fix the buildings on the Royal Mile or around the old town of Edinburgh. So that's what happened. So again, like, like, and I think this is the problem, it's really quite sad, all the important places that were shrines before the Reformation, during the Reformation, again, St. Trigiana's Chapel, it wasn't age that got the chapel into that state. Literally, they tore it down. Because I think the idea was that it, they were forming a new church where it had been Roman Catholic where you'd had a lot of pilgrimages, you'd had a lot of shrines. This was not how we would, they were doing it in the new church of Scotland. But of course they realised if, if the shrines remained, if the important churches remained, um, people would continue to go and worship there. Because it's all very well passing a law and saying, right, well, today you're a Roman Catholic, tomorrow you're going to be Protestants, and you're, not, you're no longer going to venerate saints, and you're no longer going to go on pilgrimages. Well, you, you can put that on paper, but you can't change people's hearts and minds just overnight because you've written something on a bit of paper and they knew that if they kept the shrines and, if, um, and the, the important chapels that people would just continue to go on pilgrimage and would uh, continue to venerate the saints so that is why they just destroyed them you know, if they're not there, if we throw the, the relics of St. Andrew in a ditch and don't tell people where that ditch is, well, they can't come and look at those relics anymore. Yeah, and it really was. It was as brutal as that. But I, I can only guess the reformers, because it sounds horrific, but I get in their heads, in the heads of John Knox, they felt they were doing the people a favour. We're rescuing them from idolatry. We're rescuing them. We're, we're giving them a better way to go. We're improving their relationship with God. That was their feeling. Um, and in their minds, they were acting with the best interests of, of the people. So um, this is what St. Joanna's Chapel became. Um, just a ruin, and this happened very quickly. However, there was a graveyard um, around the, the chapel, and it continued to be used. People would still bury their dead there, and particularly um, because after Reformation, you could only be Church of Scotland. That was the only religion you were allowed to be. But slowly, other religions do creep in. And one of them was the Episcopal Church of Scotland, which is the Scottish equivalent of the Church of England. However, I think in about 1690, around that time, um, the, the Scottish people who ran Scotland and the church, they really wanted to discourage this church. They wanted everybody to be Church of Scotland. So they said, if you are Episcopal Church, we will not bury you in our graveyards. The, the hope being that that would convince people to become Church of Scotland. So what people did was they then used disused graveyards. So if you're Episcopal, you're very likely to get buried here. 
at this disused chapel. And because of that, though, it kept, it kept people going. And, of course, this is the day before, in these days, you didn't have social welfare, and a lot of poor people couldn't afford a decent burial. So you've got things called friendly societies, where people with money would put money in every week. And then if someone died and couldn't afford a decent burial, the friendly society would help them out, um, often just even just giving them a cloth to cover the body when it was being buried. And so this friendly society did this for people getting buried at St. Trigiana's Chapel. And eventually they raised enough money and they decided that they would rebuild the church. So the church gets rebuilt. And it is only at this point because at this stage, I think it's 300 years again after the Reformation, and people had actually forgotten that you'd ever gone to St. Trigiana's Chapel to get cured for, um, for eyesight and so forth. And they start... And digging in and um, rebuilding the church and they actually realize they're digging into the little hexagonal building that is left this building and suddenly all this water starts swelling up and they're going what's wrong you know we've, um, and they kept trying to stop the water coming in and stop it coming in and then they actually realized oh this is a spring or this is a well and it was at that point they remembered the old story about St. Trigiana and people coming to get their eyesight cured and they realized we've discovered St. Trigiana as well so um they rebuilt the church it's, a now, it's now actually a church Scotland church and they put it's a bit weather beaten but this is actually a statue of St. Trigiana and I can maybe just about see she is actually holding her eyes on a hawthorn twig it's not, it's not that clear but that is what she is doing and today you can actually now go, still go and visit her well Historic Scotland um, help maintain it you go down the stairs because it's under, it's sort of under the, the level of, um, under water level, or whatever. You go down. I think this is the one bit of the church that actually does remain from 1477. You go, and this is the well. Because I think it used to be that the water would just be there, there'd be a well. But I guess we're all being very health and safety conscious now. They've covered over the well. But you can come and see it. There it is there. Oops, there we go, and that is the well, and even today, I'll maybe just stop there, shall I, because I, I noticed the time, yep, that is fine, we'll just, we'll just stop there, but I've got, I've sort of got the three, um, you know, the three people who arrived um, at Fife in St Andrews in 354, St Andrew in the form of his relics, St Regulus, but what I would say, um, what I also find was quite interesting, just to sum up, is I've been talking about how um, the saints, they were very, very important before the Reformation. They were very, very important. And then really, um, it was catastrophic for saints during the Reformation. I mean, they literally, they were, they were destroyed. And they tried to stamp out the memory of the saints and of pilgrimages. However, what was quite interesting when I was doing the research is, in actual fact, um, now both Catholics and Protestants in Scotland are really renewing the idea of pilgrimage. Um, for example, St. Trigiana's, the local church of Scotland church, the Protestant church, still every year now has a special service for St. Trigiana on her feast day. I think it's around the 8th of October. Uh, the relics, the Roman Catholic church last year decided to start up a pilgrimage again um, to St. Andrew's. It's called St. Andrew's Way. And I think, 
can't remember how many people they got, but certainly last year it was the first year of the pilgrimage and people were coming from, from Edinburgh up to um, St Andrews. So the Catholic Church are very much trying to encourage pilgrimage again. And interestingly, in a couple of weeks' time in Dunfermline, the Protestant churches are actually all meeting to have a conference to discuss how they could start up pilgrimages again. So I thought that was quite interesting that... Um, the sort of the saints have almost been covered up and almost forgotten about for 400, 500 years. But even now in five, Scottish people are now beginning to remember their saints. Maybe because um, so fewer people are going to church now. It's a less religious society and both the Catholic and the Protestant churches are actually encouraging people to remember the saints and to visit the shrines because they want to reawaken um, and revive um, Scotland's faith. So thank you very much. You go. I don't know if I pressed that wrong. There we go. Two comments. First one, we need to understand why the church was and is venerating the saints and the relics of the saints. <coughs> You know, uh, Martin Luther started his reformation in 31st of October, 1517. And he was very much to confirm the meaning of the Eucharist and the real presence of the body and the blood of Christ. But shortly after his reformation, Zwingli came and he cancelled the meaning and the practice of the Eucharist totally. So was, there was no real presence of the body and the blood of Christ anymore since Zwingli came and of course Kelvin. And upon the cancellation of the real presence, the relics in their mind became an idolatry worship. Without the Eucharist, it has no meaning. That's why before destroying the veneration of the saints, they have to destroy first the Eucharist. And this is exactly what the reformers did. Why we have relics in our church? Because we believe in one church, one body of Christ. There is no separation and there is no time. The church is above time, living in its eternity. So when we have the communion, we are in communion with all the saints, past, present, and future. That's why those relics are of people, of saints who are living with us in the same one body. The Gospel of St. John chapter 10 says, Our God is a God of a living, not a dead people. So they are still alive because the body of Christ is alive. And it's above time and no limitation of time. And those relics or those bodies were temples and still temples of the Holy Spirit. Why again? Because the church and the body of Christ is always alive. So we are honoring them, we are not worshipping them. That's why all the churches in the past before the Reformation was venerating until today those who believe in the Eucharist still believing in the veneration of the saints because you are living members of the same body but we can see them because you are completing the strife before us but still they are living members of the same body. I would like to have another comment on a date that Rosemary mentioned. She said John Knox destroyed the relics of St. Andrew in 15, you remember the date? 59. Amazingly enough, in the same year, was Melanchthon, 
the theologian of all theologians and the disciple of Martin Luther, starting in the same year a dialogue with the Orthodox Church in Constantinople. And he was trying to join the Orthodox Church. They were in a dialogue for three years, but it didn't reach a good agreement at the time. So in the same time, someone is destroying part of the Orthodoxy of Scotland here, John Knox, was Melenka Thone trying to reach the church, the Orthodox Church in Constantinople, trying to rejoin the Orthodox Church and reform or make his reformation compatible to the faith of the early church. So it's the same story you will hear as Rosemary was saying. Many of the stories we heard in our country, we heard it in the Far East, everywhere. Christ is present everywhere. The saints are the living members of the body of Christ, whether they are alive or dead. And we believe that we are the continuation of this living body. So we pray to be real witnesses. We are not the founders of Orthodoxy anymore in Scotland. It's old, much older than we are in Scotland. Thank you very much, Rosemary, and God bless you. Any questions for Rosemary? Yes. How 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 does the British people now look or do they know